You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman here in Johannesburg, 24 hours out from uh, the TalkSport team and also the England team making the two-hour flight to Cape Town for New Year's Eve and the New Year's Eve test. Uh, Hopefully, from an English perspective, it goes a little bit better in the second test than it did in the first. Um, uh, But news from the England camp is that Dominic Sibley the latest to fall down with the dreaded Lurgy. Uh, we're going to look back at that first test match. We're going to hear from uh, Chris Silverwood, get his thoughts, the England coach, and also revisit a lunchtime feature that took place on day one between uh, Mark Butcher, Gareth Batty and uh, also Steve Harmison. Three England players who were on duty here in South Africa back in 2004-05. Uh, you're listening to the following on podcast. So here we are, the morning after the night before, a real chastening last day for England, who fought all the way and actually produced the goods with the bat in fourth innings. Um, Their final total actually quite respectable, but the damage had been done. Uh, Joe Root admitting that uh, wayward bowling on day one and another England collapse on day two, really the areas where the game was lost. Uh, Darren Goff and Steve Harmison on commentary for TalkSport 2, um, uh, suggesting that one of Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad could make way for the off-spinner Dominic Bess. Although news from the England camp is that the slow left arm, uh, Jack Leach, is also recovering. So, could we see spin at Cape Town? Could we see... Uh, one of Broad or Anderson make way. It's, uh, lots of debate, lots of uh, talking points, lots of intrigue ahead of that second test match. But for today, um, the first up, let's revisit. Just moments after uh, England went down to that heavy defeat to South Africa, uh, the coach Chris Silverwood caught up with Guy Swindles. A fight, but a, a, a tough result in the end for the team. It is very tough. Uh, I mean, obviously, we never like losing. Uh, I mean, credit to South Africa. I thought they played very well at times. Uh, and I thought the ball very well... You know, 
coming in their first innings and made it really difficult for us. But yeah, tough to take, uh, and I mean, still plenty to work on. Areas of improvement that stood out as far as you were concerned? Well, I mean, same thing really, sort of first innings runs really, uh, and then just making sure that our discipline's uh, spot on when it comes to the bowling. Yeah, because that yesterday, the, that first morning when the night watchman stayed in must have been so frustrating for everybody. It was. I mean, it's always frustrating. I mean, yeah, I mean, we know what it's like when our night watchman hangs around, which we've seen before. Uh, but it is. It's frustrating. I thought we started well and then probably drifted a little bit and then sort of refocused. But it's just holding those disciplines for longer periods of time and just making sure that, you know, I mean, when we are out there, we're very clear and very focused on what we're doing. What were the major pluses as far as you were concerned, Chris, from this one? Well, I mean, slip catching was very good. So if we look at that, uh, I mean, it was great to get, after everything that's happened, to get, obviously, uh, Jimmy coming back, uh, Broad and Sam. I mean, Brody and Sam are fought ball beautifully in the first innings. So that was a huge plus. Um, one other to mention was in the batting front. I thought, you know, in second innings, uh, that opening partnership uh, between Burns and Sibley uh, was fantastic did feel then there was a chance didn't we we did um, obviously we came off last night having sort of got to where we were and we thought right we can do this now we knew it was going to be hard work and we knew that you know I mean we're in for a battle but it's certainly something we're up for uh, and I mean all credit to the guys I mean they've been through a lot in the last few weeks uh, sort of a build up to this and then the courage and attitude and effort that I've seen in that dressing room has been outstanding yeah I was going to say that given the build up and everything that's happened it's with illness and everything else you haven't got much time to turn around now either how is everything uh, we're hanging in there uh, no it's, uh, listen we can't use that as an excuse even you know, i mean there are certainly things that we do have to improve on and we recognize that but it's uh, yeah i mean the two guys uh, overton and uh, best will travel down to cape town with us as continuous cover uh, because we still have some sick people in the camp and as you've seen it's, it's very unpredictable what's going around at the moment so they will travel with us uh, but we're hoping but we're coming out the other side now and things are going to improve. With a different wicket to come in Cape Town, might there be changes to the team? Well, listen, I mean, we'll have a debrief on this game first I and mean, then obviously discuss uh, Cape Town moving forward. But, you know, I mean, everything is on the cards, really. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, we'll, we'll have a look at it and see where we go. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. 
the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. So, as Chris Silverwood was intimating, big decisions to be made. And, you know, he's only three tests into his uh, career as England coach and he may, may be faced with one of the biggest selection decisions uh, that he's going to get uh, over the next two or three years. So, uh, we shall see what happens there. Um, plenty of imponderables, uh, plenty of unknowns ahead of that second test match. But let's go back to day one of the first test match where uh, South Africa were three down. There was still lots of hope that England could see a rare overseas victory. And during the lunch break on TalkSport 2's live and exclusive cricket coverage, Mark Butcher, Steve Harmison and Gareth Batty look back to a very famous series. Actually, the last time TalkSport covered a series in, in South Africa back in 2004-05. Uh, a triumphant one for England and uh, one for many different reasons. Had very different uh, uh, impacts on the three players involved. So let's listen back. Mark Butcher, Gareth Batty and Steve Harmison talking about uh, the uh, winter of 2004-05. Gentlemen, I'm going to talk about the 2004-05 series uh, down here in South Africa. England had come off the back of an incredibly successful run uh, of results, beating the West Indies away in, in, in early 2004, then uh, winning every single test match of the, the, the coming summer at home against uh, West Indies and New Zealand. And then sort of approaching a, a South Africa series away with, the, with their tails up, you know, with a fabulous bowling attack, Steve, yourself, um, Andrew Flintoff, Simon Jones, Matthew Hoggard, Ashley Giles, that five-man attack. Jimmy Anderson was also on the trip. Gareth, you were, you were part of the, the squad as well. What are your memories about the sort of the, the build-up to, to that series um, and how confident uh, the, the England team had been under the, uh, under the leadership of Michael Vaughan? Well, for me, it was it was a struggle. I'll be honest, because in Joburg when we we did the build up, I, I struggled big time. I, I was suffering from anxiety. I was suffering. From, you know, I had a, a, a really sort of bout of you know, I was diagnosed with clinical depression just before. Um, again, when we came out, and I struggled in the, in the really struggled in the build up to get because we're at altitude to get me breath and get me preparation in. Um, so, from an individual point of view, I was I was it probably. <sighs> A dark place but from a team point of view we were flying we were absolutely flying I don't I didn't think there was anybody could beat with at that specific time we had all bases covered you mentioned the bowling attack there but the batting unit as well that went through you, you went that went through it you know Triscothic um, Strauss yourself Butch Thorpey Vaughan you know Flintoff was probably at playing at his best in there in the in the team at the time and and Garant Jones so yeah, from when you look at the, the the balance of the team, it was it was a fantastic side, uh, and we were helped a little bit because when we went to Port Elizabeth, um, there's been a lot of talk about the politics inside South African cricket, the politics inside South African cricket at the time, they left Mark Boucher out for the first two Test matches, and arguably that that 
probably cost them uh, in the long run over the course of the, of the, of the, the five-match series. So I think when we went to Port Elizabeth, we felt as though we had our tails up going into that test match. And um, yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a fantastic tour to be on. Gareth, what was your personal sort of memory of the, of the whole thing? I mean, it, was, it must have been tough for you. You sat, sat on the sidelines through, through most of the tour. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always a million and one different stories because everybody has a different perspective of, of these trips. Yeah, I, I think from a, a cricketing point of view, um, for a young fella trying to find his way, um, it was a huge learning curve because I was watching from the sidelines two wonderful teams go hammer and tong at each other. Like, like yourself and Harmy had, had sort of alluded to, it was England getting to a crescendo of a wonderful team that then obviously we all know what happened the year after, or, or that's the, that summer. Um, and being around that group, seeing how people went about the business, seeing how tough South Africa, the, the crowd were towards us to an extent, but also the way they played their cricket on the field. They didn't give anybody an inch. And it just showed how well that team, the England team was going because we were fronting up and bullying them to an extent, which, from a youngster, it doesn't always sit in how you, you know, how you're going to then evolve further down your career. But little bits you remember from the toughness that that you you've watched people uh, in a cauldron that that can be out there in in on the grounds in South Africa was uh, pretty amazing. And and my wallet took a hell of a sting from. <laughs> Our man Darren Goff, who introduced me to this company called Fabiana, and I ended up getting two suits that were terrible. <laughs> you met, but you, Butch, you're going, you know, throwing the question to you, and you, you played a, a pivotal part in it. Um, and the pitches, the, the, the South Africans seemed to, to uh, it was, they were lifeless. The pitches were, were a little bit lifeless to try and nullify our, our attack. The, the Port Elizabeth one in particular. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've played my last two Test matches on that tour. Um, I'd kind of come into it uh, off the back of, a, of, a, of an average summer. Really. I had a, had a load of injuries. I got hit, in a, hit by a car. I had a, a car accident on my way to the Oval and um, suffered a whiplash and also suffered a sort of like a, an injury to my left wrist. Uh, and so in the build-up to, build to the series, I, I remember kind of I was doing a lot of yoga. I was trying to kind of get some flexibility into myself. I was trying to, you know, I kind of felt as though I was under pressure from the likes of Rob Key, our great mate. Um, and the, the runs hadn't been flowing the way that they had been in the, in the previous year. And obviously the West Indies trip in 2004, et cetera, had all, been, had all been pretty good. So I kind of felt like I was a bit under the pump. Um, and so leading into the, the test match at Port Elizabeth, I think I made 70 or something. Strauss made a brilliant 100 in the, in the first innings or whatever. I dropped, an, I dropped Jack Callis at extra cover, an absolute goober um, off, off Matthew Hoggard, which could have cost us the test match. Fortunately, it didn't. Um, and, and I just, I, I was, I was kind of feeling as though something was going to give. Either I'd have to score a, a, a big runs, or it might be the sort of the end for me. And as it turned out, after the uh, the Port Elizabeth win, I played the next Test match at Durban, um, which ended up being a draw because we batted for too long, didn't declare, and we, they ended up eight down. Didn't and I've they? already had a go at Polly on air <laughs> about. He said he, he, he gave me it back, saying, "Well, I didn't have an extra until after the next Test match, and you actually broke my finger." And it was like, "Well, yeah, you were soft getting a physio out every five minutes while it was dark." We sat on the field, didn't we? That's right. Well, we were never getting back out there, but they were eight down, and we should have won that Test match, really. Um, and I remember batting in the first innings, and I, could, I literally couldn't hold on to the bat. Dale Stain made his made his debut. Do you remember? Did, Port yeah. Elizabeth. So that was the first time we'd seen Dale Stain in international. Abby De Villiers in Port Elizabeth as well made That's his right. debut. We yeah. didn't keep. That's right, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm batting at first. I made 30. It was the most painful innings of all time, mainly because I couldn't hit the ball off a square. And by the time we got to Cape Town, I, I, I was done. 
and that was the last time I played for England then. So kind of it was the, it was a turning over. Um, it was a turning over that, that happened. I think Rob Key came in and played for me on, on the rest of that trip. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the, the next year it was Peterson in after his ex exploits in the one-day series at the end of that, that series. Um, and that was the team that went on to beat Australia in the, in the best series of all time. So, I mean, from, from my perspective, those are my memories of it. They were not particularly good ones, to be honest, a little bit sore. But I do remember, and I back up exactly what you're saying about the team. I mean, you know, we felt that we could take anybody out at that point, you know, and the fact that there, there was a you know a bit of a turnover. Graham Thorpe ended up playing his last his last games in the series against Bangladesh. Ian Bell came in, Kevin Peterson came in. Even though you were t losing players of that sort of experience, they were being replaced by guys who were even better. And you joined a, a bowling attack and a batting lineup that was capable of taking on the best. It was a very unified group, wasn't it? I remember. I think it was the Johannesburg Test. We were pushing for the victory. Um, and all the 12th men were sent out to be ball boys to get the ball back quicker to you guys. And I just remember sitting there, leg crossed at deep cover boundary, getting ready to chuck the ball back, thinking, "Wow, this is this is as low as it can get for a you know you're here to play cricket, and I'm chucking the ball back to make sure we win again." But you're sort of looking at each other and you're giving the thumbs up because everybody was so driven for success and backing each other up and and trying to get the right mix of drinks for Big Steve because he's, he's running in for us and he's bowling 30 overs in the day and it was just a wonderful time of everybody pulling together and it did end up being uh, the sort of the uh, the sort of bridesmaid shall we say for what followed on in 2005 yeah and in this in the series I think I think if I well, correct me if I'm right but I think that was the first time South Africa had been beaten at home after apartheid since they come back in and it took an, an exceptional side to beat them and i remember i remember batting in that in that joburg that joburg test match and you talk about best players you played with you mentioned about peterson um Volney declared on me on my my career cb in the first innings and i put a 50 run partnership and goes back to uh, you know the great late bob willis when you watch it again i put a, had a 50 run partnership on with trez and when you watch it back again, Bob's commenting, uh, commentating on it. Anyway, and it was it was something down the lines of, yeah, well, that's 50 runs, 50 run partnership for the 10th wicket. Well played, Steve Harmison, who has amassed uh, amassed absolutely nothing to this partnership because I had naught, and Trez got all 50. So it was, you know, d just little memories like that. I didn't bowl very well on that on that 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 trip, but it was one of them ones. You, as, as if you didn't get them. As bad Jones as you did, to, or yeah, yeah, you bowl for the other one because Hoggy had this thing going round corners, swinging at miles, and it was I was struggling a little bit. And I remember saying to Vaughan during that time, "I'm just going to bowl bouncers. I'm not bothered about goals. I'm not just going to bowl bouncers because he he's looking good. The balls the balls swinging like anything from that from his end. And as it happened, he Graham Smith got an injury battered late in the and he he came in number seven in the Joburg Test match. And I think Hoggy got 12 wickets, and he was magnificent during that test match. I mean, England won the first test. Strauss almost made 100 in, in each innings. Um, uh, he was a new addition, you know, relatively new addition to that lineup. So I think he made his debut, didn't he, against uh, against New Zealand, New Zealand in 2004? He, he did us all a favour by running Nasser out, didn't he? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and he he was somebody that kind of. Uh, Along with Marcus Trescothic at the top of the order, kind of gave gave us another another dimension again, another sort of attacking dimension um, at the top of the order, which meant that with the bowling um, firepower that we had, that we were able to put runs on the ball perhaps at a, at a better lick again. You know, really putting the opposition under pressure. Is that how you guys saw it? 
Yeah, Strauss, he burst onto the scene, didn't he? He got hundreds for fun in his first 20 or 30 test matches. Um, and, um, yeah, the, the way they complemented each other, didn't they, Trez and, and, and Straussy? Um, Trez sort of hitting the ball hard down the ground and being that quite dominant, being a bigger fella. Um, and Straussy sort of guiding and manipulating the ball. Um, they complemented each other beautifully well. And it was backed up by the, the whole of the order, actually. Sort of complemented each other with you coming in there, Butch, and, and then Thorpe. It was, it was yeah, just... got a, rid of me. Don't worry about that. Yeah, but it was, <laughs> it was good the way that everybody complemented each other. That, 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 the point about Smex is a great point with Strauss and Triscothic because the margin forever for bowlers was absolutely zilch. Because if you bowl full to Trez, he, he smashed you straight back down the ground where you know you had a chance for Strauss in that sort of outside off stump area but you know you bowled short to either of them and it was four but they, they worked the ball into gaps well and to go back to Trez arguably I you know make this job can't wait for Kev, KP to come next week because you know I always make the joke that Kevin was the best player I ever played with but Tris Kothic was the best Englishman I ever played with for the simple fact <laughs> <laughs> just because he's he, he was he just didn't give the bowler anywhere to bowl and he, he well, especially in one day cricket you couldn't bowl at him because he would, he would get off strike he'd use third man well you'd, then you'd go a little bit shorter and he'd cut you or you'd go a little bit straighter and he'd bang you down the ground and he was just for me he was he was one of the best players that, that goes and well, him and Strauss together were fantastic Strauss and Tress Gothic Strauss was 656 runs at an average of 72 nearly 73 Tres Gothic 448 runs an average of 44 he played that unbelievable innings didn't he in the, in the win at Johannesburg so England won, won, won in Port Elizabeth probably should have won the test match in Durban and that was you, you almost thought maybe that was you know that could come back and bite us here and then the very next test match the, uh, the new year the test, at, test at Cape Town where we had an absolute shocker didn't we suddenly it's one all and the, and the, and the series is back on um, we didn't there weren't many reverses at that time you know, England hadn't lost a test match for quite some considerable time there. How, how, how did that affect um, morale? What was the sort of, you know, were there recriminations or was it just like, don't worry, we've got this? No, I think there was a quick turnaround. I think there was a quick turnaround and goal that was still in, in the box seats. Uh, Makaya Mantini, I think, in that third test match bowled beautifully well. Um, and I think Dale Steyn came into the fourth test match. Um, I think that was Steyn's debut in the fourth test match. Vaughan batted beautifully. But we got off to a good start in that fourth test match in Johannesburg and, and Trez took the game away from them. But yeah, it was, like you say, we hadn't lost a test match for the best part of 16 months. Uh, we'd drawn that on the ridiculous pitch when Lara got 400. But that was the only time we had ever really looked in trouble um, as a side. But it was testament to that side and how good the characters were in that side. Like Bats mentioned before, the togetherness of all 16 players that were out there it was, you know, one bad game, let's move on and, and get off to a good start. Unfortunately, we got off to a good start in that in that Joburg test. Yeah, South Africa 441 in the first innings at Cape Town, England 163, knocked over in just uh, 58 over Charles Langefeld, it was, who took five for 46 there, um, pitching it up and swinging it. Uh, Callis made 149, Harmison 42, there it is. Well batted. I can say now, I can, I can safely say now, and the honesty is, uh, you know me, Butch, I'm always honest. I was seeing three cricket balls at that time. We'd had a few the night before. We weren't going to win the game. So he, I went out swinging. I think you know, number 11 being the top scorer. I think I, I played every shot in the book in, during that 42 innings. Drive, cut, pull, everything went to third man. <laughs> everything went to third man. And when they put a third man in, that's when I got out. 
the uh, management team then was obviously Duncan Fletcher. What did he? What, what sort of a, a character did you did you uh, feel that he was? Because I know that there were there were people who were in the team, certain guys who would have a, a real rapport with him, others that, that hardly had any. What was he like for the guys who were off the field? You were with him most of the time. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was quite grumpy and quite quiet. Um, obviously, he wasn't a good watcher at times. Um, but I, I thought he was a student of the game, so I'd always try and glean information off him. But um, I think half of the time he didn't even know who I was. I, I remember getting into the lift once with uh, his wife was there, and she, it, I sort of went, oh, how, how are you doing, and blah, blah, blah. And he'd forgotten my name, definitely. And she went, oh, hi, Gareth, how are you doing? And I was sort of, oh, wow, that's, that's the bloke who's picking the team and the bloke who obviously doesn't think a lot of me. But there, was a, there was a lot of talk about players he made. There's a lot of talk about him grabbing Triscothic. You know, my relationship at the end was sour with Fletch, but, you know, I look back on it fondly because he picked me 40-odd times to play for England. That was the most successful time during my career when I was in a team. And in eight years, I never had... I think I had dinner with him once in Pakistan, and that was just because of fortunate that... We were the only three people in the restaurant, me and Fred. So, you know, you fell into that 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 meeting with him. But he wasn't somebody you felt as though you were you were warm with, you were close to. But like Bat said, student of the game, he picked Triscothic out of nowhere. He picked Vaughan when he averaged 30. But I still believe, and it's possibly harsh, that all the ones that he did from Vaughan and maybe it's Garrett Jones and Triscothic, there was nine or ten Chris Reeds and you were close to Reedy you know, and if, if he didn't fancy it you, you just had no chance did you? Yeah that's almost a, a strength and a negative all rolled in isn't it because um, the guys that he, he backed wow did he back and, and it would have given them an extra few percent um, in their belief because they had the backing of, of a and he was brilliant at picking out finer points I remember him talking um, to Hoggy about how he's going to bowl to Graham Smith and he gave him the sort of corridor that he had to bowl it at and it's going to swing this much and the length's got to be this I think Hoggy had him on toast most of the trip Good, didn't yeah. he um, but yeah we're hidden as well Matthew Hayden. yeah but but I think the flip side of that um, because he could be quite stubborn and I fancy this lad or I don't fancy him um, somebody like Aridi, who was arguably the best keeper in the world for a, a good period of time, didn't get much of a look in at all, um, is, is sad for him. But, um, yeah, it, it's that rolled up into one that a strength can also be a weakness. Yeah, I must, must admit my memories of Fletch with it, although we didn't, we didn't appear to have a very sort of close relationship, the two of us, I think he, he like Steve says, he backed me. He kind of, you know, he went into bat for me on, on more than one occasions where perhaps um, off-field stuff might have might have seen me uh, disappear out of the side. <laughs> um, and you know, th th there was there was a, a lot of mutual respect there. I think even even people that perhaps Definitely. didn't get on with him particularly well at all always would say that he was, uh, you know, he was fair, um, absolute student of the game, and, and got the best out of uh, uh, compiled a unit and was able to get the very very best out of them all. He compiled um, a winning. He compiled yeah. a very successful winning side you know he went from central contracts into what that that golden period arguably from when nasa took up from when nasa took over and nasa brought the young players through and you know sergeant major type and got criticized off serene botham for you know telling me what to do and telling hoggy what to do and telling simon what to do it was the right time for my, my uh, for michael to take over and the, you know the youthness that was there you know the experience started to become and i think fletch was he was a massive driving force in that he was one of the best expo exponents of plotting a weakness in an opposition 
as an individual and as a team. I don't think I've seen anybody as good as what Fletcher was like that. Speaking of, of weaknesses, there, there was one man who didn't have any or didn't show any, and that was Jack Callis in that series. He uh, <laughs> once again proved that he was um, right up there in the top echelons of play. What was he like to bowl at when he was in Great Nick? It was difficult because he just, he never got bored. It was, it was one of these ones that just, he just batted for fun and batted and batted and batted. And he wasn't bothered about the scoreboard. He wasn't bothered about what was happening at the other end. If the teal was getting knocked over, he just believed if he could be out there and stay out there, he, the, the runs would come. And the career he's had, and wow, the stats that you look at it. It was a phenomenal career, but it was the first time on that tour where we thought we had the weakness, which was the full ball. We got him in Port Elizabeth. Uh, they tried to move the side screen second innings to get a bit higher. And we got that full ball. And then Freddie did him a couple of times in latter series with that full ball. But, you know, what a what a player and a good bloke as well. A great bloke as well. I was fortunate to play alongside him in the World Eleven game. Um, the longevity of the career, the being able to bat and bowl for the length of time he has um, is phenomenal. And, and now they're fortunate that these guys are going to to pick his brain. But as a, as a player, you just felt... He's going to get bored here soon, and he never did. Hey, don't forget, he used to catch pigeons at second slip exactly. as well. Oh, what a catcher he was. He was just a complete cricketer, wasn't he? All night, a mile an hour, bat all day, and catch it whenever it was anywhere near him. Didn't say much, though. You know, he didn't say much. He wasn't like a Graham Smith who would, would give you a little bit back or chirp and have a bit of a rant at you. You, know, you never really knew what Jack was thinking when you were bowling at him. Um, probably not much other than scoring runs and he did that in abundance brilliant stuff there from uh, the boys and you'll be getting uh, plenty more of that throughout the series we're going to be doing a regular feature one lunch break of all the remaining three test matches will be a test of time looking back at either a test or a series um, that took place in and around at South Africa so uh, plenty more to come from TalkSport 2's live and exclusive coverage of the South Africa England series the uh, second test gets underway on the 3rd of January but the following on podcast will be with you every day of the series and we'll be back tomorrow with another lunchtime offering but until now uh, thanks for listening please subscribe review on Acast iTunes or Spotify you've been listening to the following on podcast on TalkSport The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 